we start to beat ourselves up all the time about the fact we've not done X, Y and Z. But if you reflect on what has been achieved in the past four months in terms of the, the continuity of learning for young people and all the other things in terms of the wider pastoral support that we provided, um, I, I think it's been a, you know, a huge success in challenging times. <laughs> Hello everyone and welcome to the EdTech podcast and this episode of the VocTech podcast where we seek to explore the intersections of adult education and technology and isn't time flying. A big shout out to UFI VocTech Trust for supporting this series and vocational skills development in the UK through their investments and grants in vocational technology. This week's episode is the latest in our mini-series featuring the work of the EdTech Demonstrator Programme in England. In this episode, you'll hear how schools and colleges are using technology to continue teaching and learning during 2020 and to embed continuity and well-being into teaching practice. There is also a focus on using the student community and peer-to-peer learning. So after our feature recording, we throw back to a pre-COVID-19 chat with a learning technologist at Basingstoke College of Technology, one of the colleges featured in the demonstrator programme. In this bonus section, we hear Charlie's experience of having to resit exams and using personalised learning technology to better navigate the resit process and find her calling and helping others like her in the process. But before all that, here is Fergus Bruce of Sublime talking us through this week's guest blog and Caroline Wright of BESA with some event news. The past two decades have seen higher education institutions compete aggressively in trying to create the best technology-enabled student experiences possible. With extended reality technologies like VR and AR beginning to find their feet in education settings, and with global events requiring rapid deployment of new blended learning formats, extended reality, or XR, is well positioned to meet some of these challenges. But the prize for mass adoption of XR in education is much, much greater than solutions to this dramatic global moment. It's fundamental change in the way we understand the learning process. I'm Fergus Bruce, Director and Education Sector Lead at Sublime, and I'll be exploring four ways extended reality will influence higher education next week on the EdTech Podcast blog. Will we absorb information more effectively if taught in a way that is personalised to our unique styles of learning? Can we extend our active learning phase beyond traditional education that takes place during the first two decades of our lives? And might we transfer not just knowledge, but personal experience through a tactile web? Join myself, Caroline Wright, Director General of the British Educational Suppliers Association and a panel of education experts at the Future of Learning event on the 8th of September 2020 as part of London Tech Week, as we discuss the principal themes that stand to influence learning now and through to 2025. Thanks, Fergus and Caroline. And don't forget, you can join the conversation at speakpipe.com forward slash the EdTech podcast. And a huge best wishes and good luck for anyone starting a new term of sorts as you listen to this. Okay, here we go. Um, Hello, everyone. Uh, This episode is another one in our series about the EdTech uh, Demonstrator Programme. For those who don't know or aren't listening in from England, which I know is many of you, the EdTech Demonstrator Programme includes a network of schools and colleges across England who exhibit effective practice in the use of technology 
And the programme is supported by partners including the Department for Education, London Grid for Learning, Sheffield Hallam University and the Education Foundation. The programme was announced last year to boost peer-to-peer -peer support on the effective use of technology. But as with everything, COVID has had an impact and the programme has come into its own, now tailored to offer help specifically in the first instance to schools and colleges to provide education remotely. Uh, so on the demonstrator website, which you can find at edtech-demonstrator.lgfl.net, it says... The demonstrator schools and colleges will provide professional development initially focused on supporting the effective delivery of remote teaching practices to schools and colleges across the country. And the programme will target schools and colleges who are most in need of support, for example, those getting to grips with using a new online learning platform and those with the most disadvantaged learners. So today I'm joined by some of the EdTech demonstrator schools and colleges to find out and share as much as possible for anyone struggling with these current times we live in. Um, so hello, David, Scott and Paul, um, and thanks so much for being on the EdTech podcast. And also, um, I must say a huge thank you for all the work you've done um, for our children and learners and us parents during this time to lend a bit of stability uh, to us all. So my first question is, uh, the EdTech Demonstrator is all about sharing best practice. So if you had to pick what would be your one best practice you'd share from your own educational setting that has helped carry you during these COVID times? I'll, I'll start off with David. Um, so, so I think for us, they were, they were, I'm going to cheat here and put two things into one. Um, <laughs> so I think the, th the thing that we found as a school, which came in really useful as we began to support other schools, was the notion of keeping things as simple as possible, so yeah. not to overcomplicate, not to not to have unnecessary sort of steps in the way we apply technology, but also to begin with, um, to be, begin with a really clear picture in our mind of how we want tech to work and what we want to achieve from it. It's really, really easy, I think, for, for school leaders to, to be inundated by um, emails, advertising, different platforms and different different things that they can use, but actually without a really clear purpose of, of what they want the technology to do and what they want it to help within their school, choosing the right one is really difficult. So for us, it was definitely really about keeping things as simple as possible um, and having that clear that, that clear understanding of what you want to achieve with, with a platform. Fantastic advice, I think. Yeah, I think from my perspective, sorry, Paul, um, from my perspective, very much to reiterate what was just said, is very much about keeping everything pretty much as you can the same as normal. Because if you start changing your systems and try and introduce new systems and there are lots of things out there that you could do from an ed tech perspective, it complicates things not only for uh, staff and teachers, but also for the uh, pupils, but also parents as well. So we, we found that keeping, you know, the same way to communicate and keeping the, the same setup helped maintain that continuity as we, we move from sort of an on-site to uh, a, re a remote learning setup. So that, that's really interesting. So, for example, um, did you kind of mirror then the, the school day in terms of when you'd have your team meetings and things like that? Or how did you maintain that continuity but remotely? Um, so the, the the first thing was on the first Monday morning, we had a staff briefing as, as normally planned at 8.30 in the morning just to, you know, 
keep that normality for staff and we and we, we kept that all the way through the, the remote learning as well uh, we did decided we made a conscious decision as a school not to uh, replicate or mirror the normal school day in terms of every timetable slot um, and we, the reason for that is we're acutely aware of the the, the other external pressures on on pupils and young people outside of school and on parents as well so we, we did change the structure in terms of the amount of time per subject but we did keep the timetable in terms of the the, the same subjects that were on that, that young person's timetable on that specific day um, and, and that way then we, we it maintained some sort of more normality from a from a pupil's perspective uh, they for example had phone time each morning and that was just a 10 minute uh, drop in via routines meeting uh, and, and quite often on those it, the only thing that happened is that the kids were talking to each other and just catching up for 10 minutes mm. but that was part of that normal routine it got them out of bed it got them onto you know onto the mindset of doing work I'd love to come back to that as well because on the, the point on socialization because I think that's that's a massive thing um and Scott did you have any best practices that you're like okay that's that's the one thing I'd sort of like to share yeah uh, the idea of continuity coming up twice there is interesting because that's something I completely agree with at Basingstoke College of Technology we had an Ofsted online learning review at the end of the year and they come in that was the thing they mentioned the most actually the fact we provided a fixed timetable all the lessons for four months in all subjects at all levels were online and delivered via Google Meet and via Google chat groups and separate breakout rooms for students to have one-to-ones mentoring, pastoral help for their well-being and mental health. That is something at the college, physically, at the traditional college that we used to have. Mm. And um, think about the college as being, that was what we would provide, of course, with our tutors and our work experience coaches and so on, providing that aspect of teaching and learning that perhaps we under, have underappreciated up until now. But that is the, the thing that the students have craved the most, the pastoral one-to-one support and well-being checks, whether it be playing online scrabble with their peers or whether it be having a small breakout room to talk and to chat and to interact at the beginning of a lesson or at the end or outside of lessons providing those online spaces chat groups and video groups safe and secure spaces has been absolutely crucial for us I mean well, I'll jump forward to that question because I mean that was one of my later questions was around you know you've got the academic side you've got the the sort of um, curriculum side and then there's as we're talking about now the socialization and that was to me one of the the real heartbreaking moments is you know I, I was about to have a baby my, my son didn't have a sibling that was sort of similar age or anything like that and and for me it was you know the thing was getting back to school meant him being able to interact with his peers and everything um, so, uh, Scott, you just gave some fantastic examples of how you kind of juggled that online. I just wondered if anyone else has got any any others I'd, I'd love to hear from. So we um, we used uh, Zoom for, for assemblies, which we started off quite tentatively because we weren't sure how many children would come. Um, but actually, they, they became a really significant, a really significant kind of part of our offer during the remote learning process. Um, and at first, I, I, yeah, it was really, really exciting to be able to, to kind of like Paula suggested, do things that we would normally do in school. Um, but actually, what, what was really most important about those assemblies was the fact that at the end of it, I stopped talking and the children could say hello to each other. Yeah. <laughs> so they could, yeah. they could actually see their friends on the screen and they could talk and they could communicate and they could interact, which, of course, was one of the things that was missing. So 
that really kind of spurred us on to looking at how we could do how we could do other things through through a similar platform. So we we planned for you know we we hope there isn't an, another another lockdown, but we will certainly have restrictions on on staff working with pupils across the school. So we we've got similar plans for um, the sessions where we go back in September about about kind of the social and emotional support that staff that staff give pupils as well. So we have an ELSA and we have in September a pupil and family support worker start of us, but they're not going to be able to go into classrooms in the way they normally would uh, to work with every single child across the school. So we've we've learned actually from from the children in terms of how we can use technology to offer those things moving forward, which is always nice to learn from the children. And and obviously with your schools and colleges, as I mentioned, you know, already um, in January were being sort of highlighted as examples of good use of technology in an educational setting. Um, how much did that sort of set you up for this experience? How much did you still have to do sort of additional training for your staff or students? And when you were having conversations with other schools and colleges that wanted to learn from you being on the EdTech um, Demonstrator programme, what kind of questions were they also asking um, in terms of getting their schools and colleges to a point where they could manage some of this, which is sort of been being thrown at them in a, in a, in such a intense fashion during the last sort of uh, weeks and months. I think the benefit of being sort of at the front of the curve, as it were, from our perspective is that you can hit the ground running. So where a lot of schools and colleges struggled for a few weeks in how to interact and how to do the remote learning and the platform to use and the technicalities, mm. we walked out of school on the Friday afternoon and just carried on as, as, as we always had done on the Monday morning. That's not to say there weren't things that we had to adapt as we went through, but that, that, that benefit of already having that competency in terms of the uh, the young people and the staff being able to use the technology was was fantastic and it, and it did allow us to to sort of you know carry on with it with with the normal day to day i think the challenges that other schools and colleges have faced that we supported have, have been very much around that very much around the you know how do we get a platform in place how do we get the procedures in place to use this platform to support what we would ordinarily want to do within that school setting and i think that's a challenge that a lot of schools and colleges have faced is that that uh, you know ability to get right up to speed as quickly as possible to to carry on the the, the teaching and learning that wider pastoral offer um so paul if i understand correctly you also managed to squeeze in a visit from uh, michelle donnellan mp the minister of state for universities is that correct it is correct yeah we did right just before we finished in the summer yes and so a virtual visit and i think i think that's really interesting from the point of view of you know um we've got all these incredible experts in their fields um and perhaps this has sort of set us up to you know there's there is no reason why we can't connect children and students to the wider world wherever your geography as well so I I just wondered you know how that virtual visit went and and kind of you know anything that you'd take from that going forward as well. I think the, the, the thing that surprised me about the virtual visit was actually how quickly that came to be. And, you know, ordinarily that type of visit would take months and months of planning. And I think being able to, you know, host the minister as we did and to show firsthand and, and for her to meet face to face virtually with, with some of the uh, young people as well across our consortium schools was highly beneficial because it, it allowed uh, her to see exactly what, what the young people had been experiencing, what the schools had been 
been doing, um, and also the challenges that we were facing. And it, it was it was absolutely relevant, I think, for her to see that at that point in time, because that can feed into the wider decision making process. I think just to answer your other part to that about the the opportunities that technology uh, has to provide uh, moving forward is that th this is a classic case in point, isn't it? You know, the, the EdTech Demonstrator Project has, has automatically allowed a group of, of, of sort of forward thinking in, from the EdTech perspective schools to work together who ordinarily wouldn't, wouldn't have done that. And that's because we have been working in this sort of remote sense rather than physically within school. And I think that that's the type of collaboration that has been going on in the background mm. as a consequence of the situation we find ourselves in. Quite often we talk about, you know, what, what things did you add in order to put forward your school or college strategy or whatever, whatever it might be. Um, but in this case, were there any things that you actually actively removed from your teams, you know, having to worry about certain things so that they could cope and provide the best teaching and learning during these weeks? So I think we we started the sort of period of remote teaching using two or three different platforms for two or three different things, um, and actually we we realised fairly fairly early on that with staff. So so when when we went into lockdown, we still had quite a few teachers working from home. Some teachers in school on a rotor, and that in itself was really <clears throat> logistically complicated. Mm. So we wanted to kind of remove any kind of confusion or any kind of other layer of kind of complication so so we actually moved everything to to one platform that we could work which we could we could work on that streamlined processes it streamlined how the teachers fed back on work it streamlined how teachers shared work with staff it's really how we communicated and that made a big big difference not just for the for the children and for their learning and for the teachers work but actually for the teachers for the teachers well-being it was really important as well so that was something and actually we we've we've had lots of conversations since about how we use platforms moving forward and actually our, our, our plan is to stick with with one approach that covers everything rather than having lots of fingers in different pies Oh yeah, this uh, you know notifications can uh, can sort of like the the tail wagging the dog sometimes. Isn't yeah. it? Um, and then you know we've obviously seen um, plenty about exams uh, recently. I just wondered um, in terms of assessment whether you know uh, the schools and colleges in the program thought there's any you know room for technology to help with actual assessment. So for example, with online exams or if there's any way of, of kind of approaching that problem um, in a different way, we're, we're a primary school, so obviously we we've um, not been in, involved particularly as a, in the, the the exams sort of side of things. But we've certainly certainly been able to use through, throughout the period of lockdown, and certainly when we return to school in September, when when there's really a lot of assessment required to really understand where children are and what's slipped, and um, technology will play will play a really really important part in that. So being able to use online quizzes where the the, the, the platform will sort of do the analytics for us and is, is a really important thing so saves teachers a huge amount of time but also the feedback is kind of immediate as well so so we we've we've begun earlier in the year to use technology as, a, as an everyday kind of tool for assessment and that will certainly continue for us when we're, when we're back in the classroom normally normalish whatever normal is whatever normal is I mean I mean that's a really interesting point because you know we, we've, we've had the kind of first phase which was you know everyone being remote and making sure that everyone uh you know or as much as, as possible and with all the caveats can um access you know the teaching and learning as, as as best they can um and then obviously it's sort of 
you know, the weeks went on and we've got to the summer term. Um, you know, wh- when we go back, is that one of the priorities? Is that seeing where everyone is at in terms of uh, their learning and everyone having a different experience over the last few weeks? I, I think the priority needs to be using time effectively in the classroom. When the students are getting on a train or a bus or a commute and travelling in 90 minutes, two hours, to sit in a classroom, if they're going to be sat at computers doing something they could do remotely and perhaps did do remotely, then they're going to call us out on it immediately. Um, We need to make sure that the teaching is live, real-time, effervescent, vibrant, memorable teaching and learning that connects those neurons and is memorable and they are practical hands-on actually doing things we've learned over the last four months of online teaching and being forced to work in this way that there's many other ways we can capture assessment evidence blogs websites videos which across all of our subjects for example we've got hair and beauty making tiktok videos and art students creating instagram profiles of evidence there's different ways we can think about assessment now which is what we want to be doing but we can do that outside of lessons and the students can do these sort of things beyond the four walls of the actual physical classroom when they're physically in the classroom we need to use their time as efficiently as possible practical skills mentoring what um the futurist gerd leonard calls core skills uh, compassion originality responsibility and emotional intelligence these aspects of teaching and learning i think are going to come to the forefront in the actual live physical classroom i love that scott because um you know i did an interview a couple of weeks back and they were actually quite optimistic about um you know the in, in their case the university experience in 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 this year because they felt that actually there hadn't been such a focus on teaching and learning and actually analyzing and breaking that all down in, in such a long time so they were quite optimistic about what that would mean for the students so it, it feels a little bit like um you've got the same kind of energy there as well but i, I hope so I, i'm i'm really optimistic i'm really upbeat about it i think it's gonna make me a better teacher to be honest sophie mm. because the, at the beginning of it i went back to being the sage on the stage sat at my computer just talking at the students for 20 minutes at a time and i remember just thinking my back hurt i was not engaging the students and i just regressed but then time moved on i started to flip things more started to send them off to listen to a podcast or to access a click view interactive video or to work on a passion project and to work in breakout rooms and then to come back and present their work and it become far more dynamic and it made me think about my scheme of work for this year which of course I'm about to implement in a week's time at the time of recording and I've, when, they're in the, when they're in the classroom they've got to be doing live memorable interactive teaching and learning and if I'm not doing that in the physical classroom then shame on me for wasting their time. And uh, David have you got any thoughts on that? Well, I think just just to build on from from what Scott was saying, and um, what's been really interesting for me as a head teacher has been the, uh, talking to our teachers and them saying, "Oh, Joe, I've really enjoyed really enjoyed using that feature to teach my children remotely." But I can see how I can apply that in my classroom. And actually, if I do that in my classroom, you know, so one, if I give you an example, <clears throat> I was talking to one of our year two teachers, and she was talking about how we'd used an app to create ex- instructional videos for a particular concept, and she said. But actually, if I were to use that and I were to put that onto, onto Shobi, I could then set one group off with that independently while I work with other groups. Absolutely. So all of a sudden, our, te- our teachers are now beginning to see the way that they've, they've used technology remotely 
as a direct influence to change the way they teach in their classroom. And that for me is a really exciting thing. Yeah, it's just you can't really beat actually getting involved and tinkering around and, and, and then sort of realising, you know, where it works, where it doesn't. So that's been a real learning curve for myself as well. With all that, um, you're absolutely right, Sophie. And I've um, seen many examples on the EdTech Demonstrator programme that echo that uh, approach and that um, the consequence of what's happened, certainly. But what I find that that we're going to have now, we're going back to the new normal, is this um, truly blended approach whereby a lot of the teachers who perhaps had been reticent in the past to embrace EdTech have now, through COVID-19, have had this annihilation of ego almost in the sense that they had to get past themselves and past their own our own hang-ups collectively and to try and embrace these things. And many teachers around the country and around the world have done incredibly in the sense that they've actually used and cherry-picked what's been useful for them. And now we're at a stage where we come back in September 2020 with this um, digital pencil case to enhance and augment our teaching and learning. We now can actually use these tools and create flipped, blended, project-based learning that is accelerated through the use of digital not replaced by never replaced by and that's something that no nobody ever wants despite what some ministers will have you believe mm. it is never ever meant to be a replacement it's just a toolkit it's all it ever is and Paul this might be one for you um you know we, we, we know that schools and colleges are always careful with their budgets so are there any sort of must-haves or non-negotiables when it comes to investing in technology I think I think the first thing is is having that strategic plan. You know, all schools and colleges have a school improvement plan about from a teaching and learning perspective and outcomes, how they're going to improve over the short to medium term. But I think the use of technology, as, as a couple of people have mentioned, it's about that blended approach, isn't it? It's about how does technology sit within the whole plan to improve not just the outcomes, but also the experience for the young people. Um, and I think we're going to be in a stage now where lots of schools have been through sort of the firefighting phase of the panic of putting that platform or that technology in place to support remote learning. Um, and I'm hoping now a lot of schools need to are going to go back in the new year and think, well, how are we going to move forward with technology? How are we going to make it stick? How are we going to use it where appropriate to, to support the learning of our young people? And I think that's absolutely, you know, key in terms of the success of technology like it is with any with any other project is what is the plan and how we're going to implement. I, I think that the, the sort of the second thing in terms of what, what you need is, is that consistent platform, that consistent approach what, what are you going to use within your, your, your school as that basis where everyone goes? And for us, for example, it was Microsoft Teams, and that's where everyone went. And then from there, everyone went out to different different apps or different platforms to support whatever the teaching and learning was going on in that curriculum area. But I think a consistent approach, a consistent one place everyone goes to, and then from there go out to other aspects is, is really key, really, to, to avoid that confusion. And am I correct in thinking that now it is obligatory for schools and colleges to have infrastructure in place or the provision for remote learning to take place if it should be needed again? 
If it is there, then I think most people, but I think I have something, but I think it's the variance that exists. You know, what do we mean by remote learning platform? You know, a lot, a lot of schools have been relying on things like websites or very basic mm-hmm. things like emails to allow that learning to carry on. Um, so it's, it, although that is there, I think there's the, the massive variance in what that can offer. And, and the, the, the key thing really is, and, and where schools have been successful, is having that, that two-way communication that two-way collaboration between teachers but also you know young uh, pupils to people as well because without that collaboration that communication then learning doesn't happen as successful as it it probably could do and you know at the beginning i i talked about vulnerable students as the, the prioritization of you know remote uh, learning but also uh, supporting vulnerable students so are there any learnings around the digital divide and you know how best to tackle that with whether it's through sharing devices but also supporting knowledge and understanding of using platforms and accessing remote learning in the home or or, or in other settings our school is part of a trust and we, we've been able to deploy uh, devices to to school so a mixture of ipads and um and laptops as well one of the things that, that is, is particularly difficult for us and this isn't necessarily a thing about disadvantage though is that our the majority of our schools are in rural areas and actually for for particularly kind of high video content for for learning that's been a real difficulty for, for pupils that live in living villages or areas where actually where, where broadband isn't particularly good so we've we've investigated um mobile broadband devices for for pupils as well um and there's still it's, it's probably still if i'm honest the thing that sits the most uneasiest with me about the fact that we have a brilliant offer of what we can do online but that actually the the setup isn't equitable enough so that everybody gets exactly what they need um we we're in the process of looking as well at um, the LGFL to, to plug them have got a, a great program for devices for schools which are really affordable as well so we're looking at that to see if we can if we can launch that but even as an EdTech demonstrator school I think that, that's something where if I'm if I'm being completely honest I'm, I'm still not entirely comfortable that we're there yet. I think the, the you know the digital divide and access to to equipment is certainly one of the main stumbling blocks uh, for a wide range of schools in in all sorts of situations. You know we we heard there about you know rural settings and that applies a little bit to us in terms of internet connectivity. Uh, I think moving forward, schools need to consider you know is is a device uh, a key piece of equipment that should be in every learner's hand, and you know the, there are lots of challenges about around doing that but ultimately if if you're expected technologies to become part of that blended learning experience and used to support the the, the teaching and learning uh, then you need to look at as a school how how do you make that happen and it might be like we have that you have to you know um harness things like um parental supported one-to-one schemes to allow that to happen and it is a challenge because you know we're not in the in the best setting generally we, we do have to look at how we spend our finances in terms of you know pp pupils for example but if you are absolutely committed to using technology and to harness the full power of it then i think you need to look at how the school you you do that uh, from a from a procedural and, and, and financial perspective i completely agree i think the accessibility for all um ethos that you you both obviously share as well 
is is clear in what you're everything you're saying and we're not there as a country by any stretch but i know the government and lgfl as you rightly say are making moves to sort of bridge that divide but in terms of what we have done we've uh, we took all the tech out of the college and gave it to our students much like many other institutions chromebooks and tablets just our, our IT team were incredibly agile mm. in, in the sense they moved quickly and booked out like library books. And I, today, um, with enrolment today, I can see all the students from last year returning their devices. Um, grateful for the fact they had that to get them through those four months to complete their qualification. But for those students who didn't have access to the internet and 4G dongles where we could, of course, we gave to the students. Um, but then we use other um low cost tech as well we use like things like the red button on um uh digital tvs you know for news and um, the radio and uh, telephones for phone calls and group calls as well mm. just to stay in touch with our students because that that human interaction that sense of belonging to their tribe and their sense of community that was um able to tick over using these different tools if we couldn't access of course the video calls and the chat groups i loved all those comments and yeah that that sense of belonging is 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 massive you know there's this great sense of anticipation with this new term starting um you know if, if people are listening in and actually feeling quite stressed or overwhelmed by you know what is to come in the sense that you know none of us really know um how do you go about supporting your your various teams and also your sort of student communities as well. What would any words of advice be uh, to sort of comfort them and, and sort of galvanise them for, for the next months? So what we've done at Basingstoke College of Technology was, well, five years ago, I worked with some student digital leaders, volunteers who helped me to go into staff rooms and classrooms and to run inset days, helping people to feel less alone when they were working through how to send an email or how to share a Google Doc or how to upload a YouTube video. And we've been doing that ever since. So harnessing the students and their and their energy and their ability to empathise and to be careful and to work patiently with others is a great work experience opportunity. It's incredible on their CVs. And chances are you've got seven or eight in your institution, wherever you are in the country, who are not being utilised. So to use them is, um, and to not use them rather, is is a massive waste of resource, I would argue. I think, and now those digital leaders have grown up and to become apprentices and to be technologists and employed at the college, I'm very proud to say. And that's something that I think is potentially a sustainable model at many institutions moving forward. So to utilise the untapped resource of brilliant, empathetic, kind, patient student digital leaders. I just want to uh, support really what Scott said then in terms of using your uh, student community. I think that, you know, we, we can't underestimate the digital skills that they have. And, that you know, that that's a model that we've used uh, very successfully with our young people in school as well. And, and I think, you know, just generally as a whole sector of education, we need to take a step back. And actually, the, the problem with education, with teachers particularly, is that unless everything's absolutely perfect, 
right, then yeah. we, we start to beat ourselves up all the time about the fact we've not done X, Y, and Z. But if you reflect on what has been achieved in the past four months in terms of the, the continuity of learning for young people and all the other things in terms of the wider pastoral support that we provided, um, I, I think it's been a, you know, a huge success in challenging times. And I think we need to reflect on that and draw on the, the positives and the, and the things that have absolutely worked and then and, and harness those to, to move forward as we go back to so you know this new normal of uh, in-school setting totally agree with that um I, i've got some teacher friends and i see that sort of perfectionist trait sometimes and you know they put their absolute heart and soul into everything and and you know of course we absolutely want that but it's also sort of recognizing your successes in what is always like a you're on to the next thing on to the next thing so um i i think i agree completely with, with what scott and paul have said we're we're um as I said, a primary school, but one of the things that we see, which has been really powerful, um, go, going back to, to, I think, right at the start of this discussion, we spoke about the, how things happened really, really quickly. And what, what we found was our, our application technology in school is across Key Stage 2. So we have one-to-one iPad deployments across Key Stage 2. Um, we, this meant that when we, when we suddenly um, had to move into, in, into remote learning, we had teachers in early years and in key stage one who needed to, to know how to use the technology and how they could apply it to their own teaching. Um, and actually the way that we did that was, was through the staff, our staff who use it day in and day out, um, explained fantastically and, and coherently, really succinctly the ways in which the teachers needed to use the tech to make it work. So I think there's a real power in, in kind of peer support as well um, within schools. So teachers teaching teachers how to, how to use things. Um, we've since we seen some great examples as well of how children use technology and how they show teachers um, techniques and how to use them. With, if you give a child an iPad and they sit in class, the teacher will explain things. The t- children will inherently find things that they can that they can do that the teachers don't know about. So I think really encouraging that kind of celebration of, of learning and, and teachers supporting teachers, children supporting teachers, I think is a really powerful thing. And um, very patiently uh, waiting on the call as well. We've got policy communications advisor for the EdTech Demonstrator Program. Hello. Uh, hi, Faye. Um, hi. <laughs> so anyone else listening in, obviously we've heard our fantastic guests here um, sharing, um, but thinking, you know, actually we could do with this support um, and accessing some of this uh, good learning. How can they get involved with the program? Yeah, so um, schools and colleges um, can register for direct support from our network of demonstrators via the main programme site. And this is hosted by our delivery partner, the London Grid for Learning. Um, so if there's show notes, Sophie, I can send you across link for that. But um, it is edtech-demonstrator.lgfl.net. Um, but also for those not looking for direct support, I'd still urge um, I'd still urge your listeners to go onto the site anyway. As there's a library of really excellent CPT training webinars and something probably worth mentioning at this stage of the summer holidays as well is the recorded content available from a recent preparing for a successful September event. Um, so this was an event that the demonstrators put on at the end of the summer term to support schools and colleges with their return in September. So it's definitely worth checking that out. Um, and obviously a lot of time and work has gone on to creating all of the webinars and the training materials. So yeah, we definitely urge listeners to make full use of them and share them with colleagues and, you know, you know, 
definitely give us feedback on those as well. Um, but obviously our EdTech demonstrators are the real leaders in this space and the resource is free. So um, another way to get involved is uh, to keep an eye on the calendar of events um, page on the website because um, that has kind of all of the past events and all of those planned for the autumn term and beyond. I think the next one that looks, you know, really, really great is I think it's being held on the 10th of September. Um, it's focusing on how to build digital capacity for a school contingency plan. Um, so yes, I think that'll be a really good one to sign up for. But also, um, and again, I'll send you a link across Sophie, but we've, um, the department do have a range of kind of technology support available from getting de devices to having access to a free digital Google or Microsoft platform. Um, and yeah, they can apply through the site. So yeah, I'll send those links over. Absolutely brilliant. And um, just finally, um, David, Scott and Paul, um, if there's any comments that you want to sign off with, that would be great. But also, what's the one thing that sort of got you through these weeks? So, you know, whether it's exercise or putting on some extra lockdown pounds, <laughs> treating yourself in that way. What, what's kind of kept you going and uh, would you recommend to others? I think we've got to take the advice really that we give to our young people that are in our care is that, you know, take a little bit of time to, to maybe exercise and do the things with, with, with family, even though it may only be remotely. I think we can't underestimate the impacts on people's mental health at this state, at this point in time in terms of the, the, the past few months have played. So for, for me, it's, you know, about taking that time out getting dare I say moving away from technology sometimes and, and doing those things that allow us just to have you know clear a little bit of headspace totally yeah I, I'd, I'd agree completely with with, with Paul and I think turn, turning off notifications is a yeah. is a big thing Make, making sure that there, there is a time actually you, you don't get the the, the interruption or the, or the constant sort of stream of, of, of stuff happening school-wise and I think exactly the, the idea of doing what we tell our teachers and our young people to do is really, really important. And if all else fails, just lose yourself in a good film. That's certainly how I feel, feel the time. And do you have any film recommendations, David? Oh, uh, well, <laughs> well, that's a whole other podcast. Um, <laughs> but I, 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 saw, I saw a film called Baby Teeth yesterday, which is fantastic. I'd, re I'd recommend that if you find that okay. out. It's an Australian film. <laughs> Excellent. And Scott, just to sign off. Yes, in terms of thoughts about the programme, I think that regardless of what stage anybody's at at school or college, just to feel less alone and to reach out and to have peer-to-peer, -peer, completely free support from teachers, teacher-to-teacher support, or admin-to-admin, -admin, whatever it is you need, help getting help to streamline your workflow and to make things easier. And that's what this programme does, which is a wonderful thing. So please sign up so we can work with you. That would be really nice. In terms of um, how I've managed things, and my, my, my mental health, I've been well into my running using the Strava app and um, listening to music. I've run the jewels. Anyway, album, RTJ4 is an absolute force of nature. I recommend that if you like your mm -hmm. hip hop. And um, in terms of what to watch, I reckon I May Destroy You by Michaela Cole oh, yeah. on iPlayer okay. is, is absolutely game changing, culture shaping work. So, yeah, get involved. Absolutely brilliant. Well, um, I'd just like to say thank you again for all your work around our, our young people and supporting them and supporting your teams. And uh, all the very best for the next weeks and whatever uh, 2020 has in store for us. So um, thank you so much. Thank you, Faye. And uh, we'll get this out as soon as possible. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye, -bye. Bye, -bye. Bye.
In this discussion with David Scott, Paul and Faye, so much was about peer-to-peer learning and harnessing the unique perspective and expertise of learners. In this next recording, you'll hear from Charlie James in a pre-COVID chat about turning from learner to learning technologist and helping many students, in this case Callum, own getting over the hurdle of resets, in this case through the use of Century Tech to pinpoint specific maths modules alongside the major focus of study. Here we go. Um, cool. So uh, Charlie James is a learning technologist at Basingstoke College of Technology, or BCOT, as you might know it. So Charlie, welcome to the EdTech podcast. Thank you. And, and so your role, how would you describe what you do on a day-to-day level? It's quite difficult. Learning technologists sort of, they're quite new. So it is, when you say it to someone who doesn't necessarily come from education or um, that sort of background, it's quite difficult to explain it. But what I say I do is I just help people. I help them with technology. I help make their lives a lot easier using technology. My job is to just make things easier and help them with teaching and learning and just making things better for everyone. Yeah, and for, for anyone who hasn't been on it, um, if you go to BCOT, so B-C-O-T, uh, digital bcotdigital.com uh, you've kind of curated a whole bunch of resources and tools around different areas so research yeah, that, skills yeah. that kind of stuff it's really great yeah I made that during my apprenticeship um, we just wanted a place where teachers could just come to one location and just find everything they need rather than through a lot of time we get requests like oh can you find me a presentation tool and just easier as a website that people just go to. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, I think, and, and also sort of simplify uh, everything that's out there. So rather than endlessly trying to refer one thing to another, it's just having a few few ideas to start with, which is really good. So you mentioned you did that whilst you're during your apprenticeship. So I thought um, to backtrack a little bit, perhaps you could tell our listeners about what your own sort of learning journey was to get to your current role. Um, and, and how you kind of went from uh, school age into your current position. Yeah, I'm a little bit mad really. Um, came to school, I went into a sixth form college. I dropped out because I just didn't like it, it wasn't really for me. Um, then I started BCAR as a games development student. At this point I'd done my maths three times, so I was quite down about it, I didn't really want to keep doing it. Because um, maths is a big part of my learning journey and how I've come from being a student who had to be sit five times yeah. and then to be able to teach students how maths and stuff like I've helped Callum pass his maths down, I've created a maths site, I've done so much with maths and it's really big. But once I, I was a game student for a year and then I dropped out of my course and started an apprenticeship, I was pretty much found and collected because of my use of social media. Um, and then my apprenticeship just started and then I was given the opportunity to teach and I've got my teaching qualifications and it all just really just got bigger from there. That's fantastic. So you were essentially redoing your maths whilst at DCOT, is that right? And then kind of integrated into the actual becoming part of the team there? Yeah, so I, I passed two years ago. I passed um, during the first year of my apprenticeship. But the whole thing for me was... But now I'm on the other side, I'm on the flip side, I'm not a student anymore. I can mm-hmm. help I can help students. I want to, my website was mainly created. It was just an idea from my boss, but it then became such a big thing for me because I thought, you know what? It's so hard to find maths 
resources because the teachers don't have enough time to find it for you. You're on the internet and there's just so many different websites with so many different things. There's not just one hub where you can go and you can just find everything that's going to help you. And that was really the main thing with the map site was just letting it be the hub for all the resources. So self-marking quizzes, video tutorials, anything you need, you can find. Most of the stuff is I've taken past papers from other websites and turned them into resources so students get the self-marking part so they get it instantly rather than having to wait for teachers to mark it because a lot of the time like even with me I wanted to just get on with my maths I didn't want to wait an hour and a half in a lesson especially yeah. considering I did it so many times I pretty much knew everything it was just like the studs and the quadratic equations I didn't know so I wanted to be able to do the bits I didn't know and get help with it and decide it was just, it just I wanted to help students that were just like me but in a bigger scale. And, and, and in terms of the college, I'm guessing a lot of the courses are sort of directly related to the world of work and, you know, yeah. specialising and then going into the world of work. So uh, presumably having a level of maths and English is, is, yeah. is a kind of, you know, a precursor to actually progressing into that world of work. Yeah, definitely, 100%. Like, you can find English and maths in everything. Yeah, yeah. And what kind of courses does the college specialise in? Um, we have like a range of courses. We have like construction courses, carpentry, we have media, games, um, hair and beauty, anything from service industries. Then we have like animal management, which so is really random. You have dog grooming, <laughs> come and groom your dogs. <laughs> yeah, and well, well, that's interesting though, because you know, you think of animal management, but like technology has a sort of intersects with all of these industry types, doesn't it? You know, we know with uh, agriculture, it's becoming much more sort of data-driven, that kind of thing. So um, yeah. where do you see, like, what's been the most interesting application or assessment of technology for supporting teaching and learning across that diverse set of subjects? Well, um, well we have, for me, my, my biggest aim is maths. So we use Central right. Tech, which is an artificial intelligence platform that identifies students' strengths and weaknesses when they come in. So they come in, they do a diagnostic test to just see where they are. It's not really a test, it's more just like see where you are. And then what it does, it will give you, um, give the student little activities to do to help them improve their maths or where they struggle the most, rather than having the teacher just try and teach the same thing they've been learning in school, in primary school, and that's sort of what Callum said. You, you have 12 years of learning and then five years of secondary school which they've got to try and squeeze for 10 months so essentially really helps just help students really pinpoint what it is they're struggling with. The Callum that Charlie is referring to is a student much like her during her apprenticeship days, frustrated with multiple failed exams and wanting to move forward with studies. Charlie helped tailor a programme for him and here's how he recalls it. Okay, brilliant. So um, I'm delighted to have Callum Rochester, uh, a student at Basingstoke College, on the line. So welcome, Callum. Hello. Callum, perhaps you could kick off by just telling our listeners a little bit about who you are, what you're studying at the college and what your experience has been so far. Hello, I'm Callum, 18 in my third year of college, studying BTEC in computer science. Okay. I was studying maths last year. And what kind of took you from maths to computer science? What, how did that switch happen? Um, well, it was GCSE maths retake. So the BTEC was just alongside. I had to retake the maths because I failed it yeah. in secondary. And then I failed it at the first year of college. 
twice. They were there. They did second year college one time, then passed the second time on the second year. And what was that kind of experience like? Like, what what is it ultimately that you want to go into, and how important was the kind of passing the maths as a as a factor in that? Well, I wanted to go to web development, but I need my BTEC for that, and I can't have my BTEC diploma without yeah. magician. And yeah, that's quite important. And so, how did the college kind of help support you to? go ahead and pass kind of what tools and support did you receive um well we had our normal math classes and then we had in second year we had extra uh, an extra hour a week where we do century mm-hmm. which is something else um it helped because of the integration thing with computers it was something that i could get used to and not have to sit and like listen to someone as well yeah, I suppose that question that we were talking about earlier, so what's been the hardest thing and the best thing? Um, during your time at the college, I suppose, so you're coming up towards the end of your course, so as you look back, kind of what will you take from your experience into the world of work, do you think? Well, I'd say the best thing I'd take with me is the, the charisma of everyone. And it's sort of just like, it's a different environment take that with me. Yeah. I definitely the hardest thing though is staying motivated. Because I mean you do seven years of primary school where uh, and then you do another five a secondary, which is twelve, another two years of maths. I call it just fourteen years consistently of maths. <laughs> That's draining on. Now back to Charlie. But on like a wider scale of things, we use so much different technology for different um, courses, we can use VR, so we have working at heights for construction students, or we have a new piece of VR kit, and um, we use bench VR for our automotive students, just getting into the engine as if they were doing it in real life sort of thing, oh. and we just, just lots of different technology for lots of different courses, like probably be here forever if I was to list off everything we have for all the different courses. And what are you kind of seeing coming on, like, like sort of further down the line where perhaps it's not quite there yet in an educational setting but but you're kind of keeping an eye on it in terms of technology yeah ai i think ai needs a bigger impact in education like we do use it at the college with like century and our forms and stuff but i think the automation of it needs to be bigger it needs to be more improved so we can bring it in and it can do the stuff that we need it to do to save time for our teachers now that's all for this episode Thanks so much for listening in, everyone. A big shout out to this week's amazing guests and don't forget to check out their work via our show notes at theedtechpodcast.com. And if you enjoy this week's episode, make sure you save the date for the newly announced UFI Week of VocTech, which will be a programme of online events celebrating VocTech and its impact on vocational training and learning, a bit like the discussion in today's podcast, and this will be taking place between Monday the 2nd and Friday the 6th of November 2020. If you liked this episode, please rate and review wherever you get your podcast from. And what else? For upcoming events, competitions, funding and more, sign up to our newsletter. That's it for now. Best wishes to all of you. Bye-bye.